Endeavoring for material objectives, unnecessary talking of mundane affairs, being too much attached to scriptural rules and regulations, and too neglectful of them, associating with worldly-minded persons and desiring mundane achievement. Since good qualities are enthusiasm, confidence, patience, performing the regulative activities of devotional service, getting up the association of non-devotees, and following the footsteps of the previous acharyas. Six activities of holy association are offering gifts and charity, accepting charitable gifts, revealing one's mind and confidence, inquiring confidentially, accepting prashadam, spiritual food from others, and offering prashadam to others. Then, verse 3. I know I do not find this man to chant the holy name of Hari. Please be merciful. And blessing me with the drop of faith, rest of on me the great treasure of the holy name of Krishna. Krishna is yours. Going back to the subject uh, yesterday, of revisiting it with uh, more elaboration. Actually, I just saw it, that, that I was supposed to be... I, I'm a little out of... No, no, I'm not a little. I'm completely out of sequence. I was supposed to, Yesterday's class was supposed to be today's. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It's, it's not that one has to come chronologically before the other. So yesterday it was uh, to marry or not to marry and the general uh, attitude and disposition of a brahmachari. To marry or not to marry, the real question is how to serve Krishna best. In this regard, Srila Prabhupada recounted how he had asked his own Guru Maharaj, who was a Naishik Brahmachari, lifelong Brahmachari, who also said that if by producing Krishna, by having sex I could produce Krishna conscious children, I would be prepared to do so a hundred times. And Prabhupada also pointed out, but still he didn't. So uh, Prabhupada asked him that. We have the example of the six Goswamis, Tattva Turna Mashesha Mandala Pati Shrining Sada Tuchavat. They left everything in the world. The association of aristocrats, wealth, all these things, and accepted a very lowly position in human society, a position of poverty. What's the next line after that? Bhutva Dina Ganesha Kokarunaya Kupina Kantashrita. They they after living in great opulence, all they had was a kupin, which we call that in English Brahmin underwear. I don't know how that name came, Brahmin underwear. And uh, and Kanta, which is a patchwork quilt. In, in modern American culture, you probably don't even know what a patchwork quilt is. You'd have to go and look it up in an encyclopedia or something. It means that when cloth gets old, you probably don't even know what that means either, because it's changing. But uh, in some cultures, they wear clothes until they become worn out. In America, of course, it's fashionable to buy clothes which look as if they're worn out when they're new. So when they when they get old, uh, they rip it up, and from the patches they make quilts. 
comforter, they call it, I think, in America, right? And then they, they stuff it with rags. And so, poor people, that's what they use to keep warm in the winter, for sleeping. So, that's what they... It's, it's really a, a situation of great poverty. So, they, they accepted that situation of poverty, whereas Ramananda Rai, he left his job to join Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and he was given a full pension by his employer, Pataparudra Maharaj, and he remained in family life. He didn't give up family life. So Prabhupada asked Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati, why? And Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur replied, it's, it's a question of service, what is more conducive. So in, in, this, in the case of Ramananda Rai, the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu didn't tell him to leave home and leave your family affairs. He, he was the, uh, the the first of the five sons of Bhavananda Rai, so he was the, had an influential position with his brothers, who were all servants of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So in that case, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu didn't tell him to leave, that you, he could stay at home and be a householder. So the, the question is how to serve. The, the same points Srila Prabhupada made in the in a famous purport about Gajendra the crocodile, in which Srila Prabhupada points out that why did the crocodile, the fight was going on between the elephant and the crocodile, and eventually the crocodile became stronger. The elephant became weak because he was not in his proper element, he was in the water, whereas the crocodile was in his element. So Prabhupada used this uh, as an analogy because one of his uh, dynamic sannyasis, the news had come to Srila Prabhupada, one of his sannyasis who was performing externally very wonderful preaching work, it, the news had come out that uh, while, he, while he was doing so, he was simultaneously uh, having multiple affairs with various what are called brahmacharyas. So the news came out and by this time Srila Prabhupada it seemed got used to that because it wasn't the first occurrence of some, uh, a young man who Prabhupada had awarded sannyas not maintaining the principles. But Srila Prabhupada he wrote that if, if one is not fit for sannyas then he can go to the Grihastha ashram and the point is to go on fighting the crocodile of maya in whichever situation is suitable for us. So it may be that some people are not suited for lifelong brahmachari life but every devotee should be a brahmachari. Brahmachari means Every devotee must be a brahmachari. If he's not a brahmachari, there's not a devotee, because a brahmachari means one who literally moves, literally means one who moves or lives in a spiritual atmosphere. And uh, of course, this, uh, as I was saying yesterday, if one can. Uh, Avoid entering family life. That will be, that will provide the opportunity to be fully absorbed in the service of Guru and Krishna without any distraction. So it is intrinsically a better situation 
to aim at going back to Godhead. One point uh, not directly related to this. Um, Nowadays we often introduce ourselves, brahmacharis and sannyasis, as monks, which is, it's, uh, it's an accurate description that the term monk means a, a celibate, perci- per, uh, a celibate, what's the word, uh, monk, monk, uh, one who is dedicated, who is celibate and is uh, living in the association of other monks for the for religious purposes, we can say this. Traditionally, monks in the Christian tradition, they are different from priests, what are called priests. Priests are more active in the world, and monks they they are secluded from the world. And therefore we have the term cloistered, cloistered away. Cloister means a monk's quarters. And it means removed from the world. So if we say someone's cloistered away, it means they're shut off. They've shut their door and they're not having anything to do with anyone. And there are still some monks like that in, uh, in the Greek Orthodox tradition. There are some monks who are there. And in the Russian Orthodox tradition, and actually by being celibates and being fully absorbed in praying, they, they actually develop some mystic powers. And some, some of the monasteries, they, they're only accessible by a basket on a rope. They're, they're right way up on a mountain, and you can... You can only, it's very difficult to come in or out. They're really cut off from the world. And the term, well, the term monk, or in general religious terms in the West, they often, well, especially in Protestantism, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of jokes made about monks and the jolly friar, and then there's the Canterbury Tales and there's so many stories of uh, the the secret tunnel between the monastery and the nunnery with the uh, and in the tunnel you'll find the dead babies because that's the natural result of communion not holy communion unholy communion between monks and nuns so, and actually, the, uh, this uh, very important institution in Western culture called beer, B-E-E-R, was invented by monks. And some of the best wines, some of the famous wines, were also uh, coming from monasteries. So, you know, they've had this pretty good monks and not so good monks. The In modern Western culture, I mean it's pretty modern, the last 20 years, the term monk has come to be thought of also as the, the idea of Buddhist monks. Or 
Chinese, the Chinese and Japanese culture has become somewhat, there's some kind of superficial interest in that, in the Western world. So when we introduce ourselves as monks, then people, they can relate to that somewhat. But we can use that term, it helps people to understand us. It's like we can say we're Hindus. We can say we're, we're not philosophically we understand there's no such thing as a Hindu anyway but it's something we can say just to we don't want to push it too much but we can say that it's just something so people can kind of put us in a mental box so that they can start to understand or, or start to uh, size us up as all but on the other hand if, if we make our whole identity like that then we're, then we're we're trapped by that identity. People just put, okay, Hindu, they're Hindu, all right, now I don't have to think about it. They're a Hindu, they belong in a Hindu box, okay, very good. Pat them on the head, give them, give them permission to exist, and okay, you'll be a good Hindu, and don't bother us. So in the same way, the monk, there's the idea, maybe there's an idea of someone who's you know, very nice, and good person, and doesn't really bother anyone, but we're not exactly that kind of monk. We're, devotees are supposed to be dynamic preachers. We're out in the world. We're not cloistered away. So we don't want to ourselves get too much into this stereotype of thinking ourselves as some some people who are just kind of benign and withdrawn and don't do very much. But we're brahmacharis. Uh, become brahmacharis, not simply for our own culture. That was never Prabhupada's idea that brahmacharis should be, or members of the movement in any ashram should simply cultivate Krishna consciousness for their own sake. But everyone in this movement is meant to be a preacher, and especially brahmacharis. It's not just... Being a brahmachari is not just to escape from the world and not to have to earn a living... But it's, uh, it's a position of responsibility. Everyone should be responsible. This question of to marry or not to marry, everyone should be responsible. It's not just avoiding marriage because it's too much headache. But if one is not, ex if one is not accepting the responsibility of marriage, then one should accept the responsibility of acting for the improvement of human society. It's not just a, an easy an easy man's, easy-going way of life. But rather, everyone has to accept that responsibility. So, if one is going to be a brahmachari, then be a brahmachari. Be a fully absorbed in spiritual life. Otherwise, simply to be, a, to be a bachelor, to be unmarried, that doesn't mean a brahmachari. Just to be unmarried. Just to avoid the... There, there are devotees like that who they, they can see, well, family life, it's too much headache. But, and, but not really very committed to serve the mission of Srila Prabhupada and the Acharyas. So that's not very laudable. There are others who are, shall I get married and not get married? And they're like that for years and years, just floating on the mental platform. One should decide clearly, preferably by the age of 30 latest. Which way am I going? 
it, it should be decided because otherwise if you're just kind of floating maybe, maybe not you can go on floating, floating, floating right up to the age of 40 or 45 and then get gobbled up by maya in the form of the entrance into the Grihastrasham. For such a person, that is Maya, because he just fell into it. He didn't enter into it in, a, in an intelligent and planned and Krishna conscious way. So, better to get married earlier rather than later. So, one should be very clear, have a very clear vision of how to use this valuable human form of life in a manner that is best suited for myself to become Krishna conscious and serve this mission. That decision is uh, best taken in consultation with one's guru. Brahmachari is servant of his guru. It may be that there are cases where at least I know of one case, I was told of one case, where a devotee said to Srila Prabhupada that, Prabhupada, I want to take sannyas, and Prabhupada no, you should get married. There may be cases where, I, I, I mean, just from my own experience, I deal with different devotees in different ways. If someone tells me that, that they don't want to get married, and they may be quite insistent, but I, I know that it's, they're not fit for Brahmachari life. They don't have that level of commitment and sense control. If, if you can see that someone's uh, not, not very uh, regular in sadhana and has a not, not very uh, committed to anything and uh, then you know that they're not fit for Brahmachari life. It's a great vow. It's a great commitment. It's a great opportunity, but it's it, the great opportunity is not one simply of not being married and living in an ashram. It means applying oneself moment by moment, day by day, year by year, uh, to be f- the endeavor to be fully Krishna conscious. And although a grihasta may have some kind of license for sense enjoyment, which that license has been uh, redefined in the modern age, in our Krishna conscious movement, or the periphery of it. So nowadays it's considered normal for every grihasta to have a TV. And that's not just for watching Krishna conscious programs. It's considered normal and acceptable to have a TV and the license gets stretched further and further. Brahmachari doesn't have any license like that. So if a Brahmachari is attracted or, or wants those kinds of things, or, then he's obviously not a Brahmachari. Whereas we see in other cases there's someone who's, there may be someone who's very, very serious preacher and very determined, but they're, they're struggling. Actually, everyone's struggling to a greater or lesser extent. Well, maybe not everyone, but most uh, we see that at least for some phase that most brahmacharis they go through there's, a, there's some internal struggle is there Every, I mean until we have completely pure devotees then we're always str- we have to struggle with maya if we're not struggling with maya then we're, we're overcome by maya 
But for those who are feeling it's uh, more, they're feeling quite some difficulty, and it it can be very difficult, no doubt. In these, uh, in the Western countries, especially in in the summer, which in Southern California seems to be most of the year, it's a it's a warm climate. Then there are lots of unchaste women dressed in an unchaste manner and it's not a very conducive situation for brahmachari so we can expect that there, there will be some mental turbulence but it's not necessarily just because there's some mental turbulence that one should crash the plane that one can go one can go through with this you can see if someone's serious to be a brahmachari, then they they don't. It's, it's not just because that there's some disturbance in the mind that we have to succumb to that, but rather take help, get strength, and uh, go on. And we need, as I was saying, we need we need to reestablish the the brahmachari ashram. What are the principles of of brahmachari life? It's it's more difficult to be a brahmachari now because that atmosphere isn't there. It, you're it's re-pioneering. It's it's saving the almost extinct species. So it's uh, as more brahmacharis come, then as there's that atmosphere is created of uh, the brahmachari ashram, then it will be easier for others to come, and they can take advantage of that association. That should be understood what the Brahmachari Ashram is. It's an atmosphere of cooperation, helping each other in spiritual life, selflessness. Everyone's helping everyone else. Everyone is the servant of everyone else. Uh, That's very different to the modern self-centered way of thinking in which everyone thinks, what's in it for me? So, to join the Brahmachari Ashram means to accept a, a different outlook on life altogether. The, the, the old, or the way of thinking that we've, been, that we've had for all our lives, we've been trained with. So many wrong ideas. We, we heard this morning, it was quite revelatory, wasn't it? All those quotes from Freud and all the ideas that we've been brought up with are just all wrong. We have to, we, we have, we require to be re-educated. Like Srila Prabhupada often used to give his own, uh, his own paraphrased translation of the, of the verse of Prabodhananda Saraswati. That he used to say that how to preach, you go to someone and say, my dear sir, you are very good. Everything about you is very good, and then this person will think, "Oh, oh, what, what does this rascal want from me? He's uh, he's understood my greatness, so uh, what does he want from me?" So then he asks you, "What do you want?" And you tell him, "My dear sir, you just give up all your hogwash ideas and surrender at the lotus feet of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu." So like that, uh, we may not. It's probably difficult for us to understand how deeply 
we have been conditioned by the material, the, the modern or the pre, the current materialistic way of thinking. So Brahmachari means he is the servant of his guru, uh, absorbed in hearing transcendental sound, absorbed in absorbing shastra, shastric understanding. If we don't absorb this understanding that everything is to be understood through Guru, Sadhu and Shastra, then we might end up after several years of apparently practicing Krishna consciousness, find out that we have just been treading water. We didn't go anywhere. Treading water, you all know, you know what that means? Treading water means you're uh, you're in the ri- you're in you're swimming, but you're not really swimming. You're moving like this, but you don't go anywhere. You don't have enough. There's not enough. There's enough strength maybe to uh, not get carried away by the current, but not enough to move you. So you remain in the same position. So it may be that we're superficially practicing, but if we uh, if we maintain the, the same basic outlook, just like all these psychological ideas, then we may end up in the same position. That we're superficially Krishna conscious, but actually we still subscribe to the outlook of the demoniac society with all its wrong ideas. And we find that increasingly. that Instead of discussing, I mean, increasingly within our society that devotees instead of discussing various points on the basis of Guru, Sadhu and Shastra they do so on the basis of of feelings as if feelings are the feelings evajayate that's uh, the, the feelings is that's the main thing and uh, or they'll discuss in terms of modern so-called psychology and it's, it's a very common theory that devotees need, everyone needs, everyone's got, have you, have you heard this before? Everyone's got so many contaminations, therefore they need to go through some course or they have to get their chakras cleared. So otherwise they can't, you see, chanting Hare Krishna is very good, but you can't really do it properly unless you get, first of all, you have to get your chakras cleared out, or you have to get all the, all the, uh, what's the, this, uh, hang-ups, what does Freud call it? The, all these, uh, all the things from your childhood, all those, I can't remember the word they use. Uh, all these, you have to get all these things cleared out, and then you can become emotionally fr- you can become free from all these hang-ups and then you can chant Hare Krishna. Of course, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu didn't say that and none of the Acharyas said that. Chanting Hare Krishna is itself the process for cleaning the mirror of the heart. But that chanting has to be accompanied by hearing. Otherwise, that chanting... And hearing means hearing the philosophy of Bhagavad Gita and Srimad Bhagavatam and understanding it very clearly, understanding 
who we are, there's some bandhagyan, who we are, who is Bhagavan, what is our relationship with Him. Unless we hear this, we may be chanting Hare Krishna, but we may simply be watering our anarthas. If we conceive of Krishna according to any other uh, understanding than that of Guru, Sadhu and Shastra, then even when we're, we're cultivating remembering Krishna, but we're remembering not actually Krishna, but a misconception of Krishna. And if we don't have a clear understanding of who is Krishna, then that won't be the Krishna who is to be surrendered to, and we won't have the understanding that we are to surrender to him. So, brahmacharis, that was the quote that uh, at the top of the poster for the the, for the brahmacharis seminar the brahmacharis engage in the unadulterated hearing process so hearing there's no actual chanting without hearing shravan first comes shravan and then kirtan first clear the ear otherwise the, the name of Krishna cannot arise in the heart that has not been uh, preliminarily cleared by hearing. First comes Shravan, then Kirtan. So, on to another subject. Practicing Brahmacharya in an age of diminished authority. Brahmacharya life, uh, there's another parallel with monk's life. The, the life of a monk in the Christian tradition is one of following authority. One voluntarily accepts to be subject to an authority which one accepts this authority is divinely ordained and on that basis, with that faith, submits himself to that authority for the sake of spiritual advancement. Now, we live in an age of egalitarianism. The absurd idea is considered almost sacred that all people are equal. And it's absurd because no two people are equal in any way. Maybe two people may be equal in height, just about, although or weight, although that's fluctuating all the time. But people have different levels of intelligence, people have different levels of physical strength. To say that everyone is equal uh, is uh, it's it's absurd. But there's this idea that everyone is equal and that to suggest anything else is Okay, it's, it's practically considered a sacrilege. Now, uh, as Srila Prabhupada pointed out, now let's talk about, a bit about diminished authority first more. Uh, previously, in the Western world, it was, there was clearly stratified society. There's much 
spoken about the caste system in India, how bad it is. But actually up until recently in the Western world it was a society was stratified by birth also. And those who there were well in the medieval times there were there were serfs who were almost like slaves. In Russia up until the end of the 19th century there were there were serfs. And eventually, they, they, eventually the uh, the noblemen got more rights. They wrested their rights. The Magna Carta is in England, and then gradually the idea of everyone having rights. And first of all, it was for the the noblemen got their rights, and then gradually other classes got their rights also. When was it in um, in the Christian tradition that women got souls I think it was only about 200 years ago after that time they didn't have souls and then they got souls huh? just about a hundred yeah it was towards the end of the 19th century also that women were granted souls uh, are they, the animals still didn't get them so hmm? Maybe in the future they'll get souls also. <laughs> so they got souls and then they got votes and, uh, and then they got everything else. Then they got sex change operations. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty. Uh, they, got, they got all the way up from having no souls to, to having votes within, you know, 20 or 30 years or something. So, uh, well, the idea of the just like we read in Srila Prabhupada's books that the, the not just Prabhupada's books in the Bhagavad Gita itself Lord Krishna states um, what is that Narangsaiva Naradipam among men I am the king the king being a divinely appointed person and he's the king because God wants him to be so that that idea was uh, very strongly there all of society was uh, stratified. There's this idea of blue blood that people who are royal they have some special, some special. They're very special and different. So that idea was there. Uh, the king is to be respected. The priest is to be respected. The teacher is to be respected. That has gradually broken down. The reason for that is because the the position was abused. The position of king is to rule the people, not for his own, not for his own sense gratification. He gets his own sense gratification, but he is to rule them on behalf of God, just like a, a father cares for his children. But when the, that position was abused, was repeatedly abused, then people rebelled. And gradually the kings were thrown out and republics were established or constitutional monarchies in which the, the king remains but not really as a king, just as a figurehead. And the... Uh, The Catholic Church in Western Europe 
they had, the, the Pope was supposed to be the representative of God and the bishops and the priests they were very much respected but that also that respect diffused when it was seen that the, 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 the position of the Pope and that of the bishops it was, politi- it was more of a political post than a, than a genuine than one that people could relate to as being spiritual and therefore people they, they lost their respect for that and there was the Protestant church emerged out of that in which they attempted uh, that even though in the Protestant church there are priests but they don't there are ministers but they don't have the same kind of respect or position as in the Catholic church and they, it's just the idea is more or less that well it's, religion is a do-it-yourself process you read the book and you have your own relationship with Jesus and there might be a minister who gives a lecture who's more learned but he's intrinsically not really better than anyone else and there's no there's no uh, special respect given to person there's no idea there's not the idea of saints that anyone can become saintly there's just the idea that well Jesus is there and everyone else is sinful so it's very similar to Ritvikism actually our Ritvikism is very similar to that that idea that there's just you, you read the book by yourself and you don't need anyone to you don't need any spiritual authority direct Prabhupada's your authority and Prabhupada's in your Prabhupada's in my heart and it's uh, pretending to accept some authority without really accepting any direct personal authority and uh, not accepting that anyone can actually be saintly if, if anyone appears to be saintly it's just presumed that it's, it's just a show and uh, it's just a matter of time before they get found out so uh, the, the whole basis of spiritual of, of temporal and or secular and spiritual authority has been undermined by misuse of that authority and people in the Protestant church they don't want don't, or the various Protestant churches they don't want to accept that authority but then spiritual life becomes uh, like I said a do-it-yourself affair and basically a bunch of mental speculation with no authority and even though they may make some authority we'll find that the, the Protestant churches they have been subject to practically infinite secession and splintering because in the beginning they rejected the authority of the Pope and then someone else comes along as, the, as an authority and, they say, and then the others say well why should I accept you as an authority I, I, I'm just as good as you. you you didn't accept authority why should I accept you as an authority and without that there is uh, there is no fixed understanding of what is Guru, Sadhu and Shastra uh, what, what is Siddhanta it's just everyone has their own opinion and any opinion is as good as any other so we have similar problems in our ISKCON because previously authorities in ISKCON were very highly respected nowadays that is less so and there are historical reasons for that but nevertheless the principle of authority 
remains true. That, as Lord Krishna states in Bhagavad Gita, one has to accept a guru, one has to accept guidance, and particularly the brahmachari has to work under the direction of a guru who guides him in every step of life. Now, if the if the brahmachari ashram is, is kind of do-it-yourself kind of thing. Now, I'm saying this, but there are some brahmacharis in our midst who are more or less independent in their activities. Now, it may be that for senior brahmacharis, they are in many ways like sannyasis, who are given a lot of room to move. Sannyasis, there's... They're, Giving, take your independence. Take it and go and do something for Krishna. Not that they're independent of the orders of their guru, but they're considered to be like grown-up, just like a grown-up son. He, he remains under the tutelage and uh, under the order of his guru, but at the same time it's not that he has to at every step take permission for everything he does but rather it's expected that he knows the uh, he, he knows the he's, he's so much uh, in tune or so much dedicated to the order of his father or guru that even without being told he can execute that so uh, senior brahmacharis to uh, it may be hoped that d- depending on what particular, again, the, the question of service is there. Depending on what particular service they have, they may accept uh, quite an independent position. Independent not in the sense of being defiantly independent, but a cooperatively independent. So that may be there. But especially junior brahmacharis, it's very much required that they accept authority and discipline because without accepting the discipline that comes from being under an authority, they're never going to learn or imbibe sense control, which is self-discipline. We rec- self-control, self-discipline, sense control, this is required. How are we going to do that? Because our whole practice throughout our lives has been one of indulge the senses. So we accept some external authority. You do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. Do this. I don't want to do it. Do it. Sankalpa vikalpa. This, I want to do it, I don't want to do it. This is the activity of the mind. To get off the mental platform, one has to accept an authority and yes, you have to do it. You don't want to do it, that's not part of the equation. You don't want to do it, that's why you have to do it. <laughs> we should accept, not on the basis of I want, I don't want, but I'm accepting this order because I accept that by following that, that I will overcome the, the, the variegations of the mind and rise above this platform of I want and I don't want and come to the platform of doing what is required for Krishna's service. But until we come to that platform, then it's required that we have 
external authority upon us. And even just, uh, even if one has, uh, if one is a more senior brahmachari, one may be more independent. Of course, um, that independence, that may come just because one is more senior, either by age or by number of years in the movement, and not necessarily in terms of spiritual advancement. It's, it's also not necessarily true that someone who's been a, around the movement for many years is more advanced. It depends how much they apply themselves to the process. But more independence may be given just because, you know, how, how long should someone remain in the kindergarten? But uh, ideally, a devotee, a, a brahmachari should take brahmachari training which includes uh, all the basic activities that Prabhupada gave us, strictly following the temple programs, going out on book distribution, Harinam, and doing all services uncomplainingly under the instruction of the temple authorities. And studying, brahmacharis are meant for for studying, uh, becoming absorbed in shastra, not in an academic, not simply in an academic way, but learning how to apply that in life also. And uh, all these, if you can learn to play madanga, all these Vaishnav songs, all of course it's impossible. There are thousands of them, but at least some of them. And uh, in this way, become spiritually rich. Give up your, or giving up this comfortable way of life to lead a, an austere life, a monk's life, but to cultivate spiritual riches. So, uh, the authority needs to be followed um, to, even just to organize a society. When I say some devotees, as they become older, they may become more independent, but uh, ju- just to organize anything, to organize any anything in this material world, it requires that there's some discipline, someone has to take the lead and someone else has to follow. That's the way of the world. It's the natural order that the senior lead the junior. This is not my mental speculation, this is a statement by Srila Prabhupada. Naturally, some people, they are uh, more qualified than others and they, they take the leadership and that principle should not be uh, despised that that principle should be accepted now within our society there has been and is distrust to in varying degrees of various leaders or of leadership in general. I must admit, I also subscribe to that, even though to, to, in varying, various degrees, even though I myself am in the position of a leader somewhat. But at the same time, we should understand that it's, uh, it's a lot easier to criticize leaders than to be a leader. And it's Difficult. It's even. It's difficult to be a leader 
in anyway, especially in Kali Yoga, but especially in the present time in ISKCON, it's difficult to be a leader because of this general atmosphere of not wanting to follow any leader or, or presuming that leaders are wrong and even if you can't find anything wrong it's presumed that they're wrong but it, they just haven't been hasn't come out yet it's like you know you're damned if you do and damned if you don't kind of thing so uh, we, we can appreciate also that it's not easy to be a leader and uh, appreciate those who are taking that responsibility in the service of Srila Prabhupada. Often it's presumed that people only take leadership positions because they want to get some material advantage out of that. But that's a very uncharitable outlook. It may be true in some cases, to some extent, and maybe in some cases to a large extent. But I, I, it's, at least as far as I see it, it's not true to a, gr- a great extent in every case. So... Yeah, there are di- there there are difficulties with authority, the whole authority structure and system. And, but at the same time, we should understand that we uh, we can function better as devotees and especially as brahmacharis by accepting a competent authority. If we have an if if the uh, authority is himself not self-controlled, then how can the brahmachari imbibe self-control? So anyone who wants to join this movement as a brahmachari, uh, it's worthwhile to find that situation where you can, where you're Determination to be a brahmachari and your dedication can be uh, properly reciprocated with. That the leaders are concerned with your spiritual life; they'll guide you and help you to come up. Uh, So find that association. Don't jump here and there. That's that's another disease to jump here and there that I, I joined in this temple but I heard it's better over there okay let's go there then you go there and you find something that you don't like and then oh no, I'll go somewhere else and jumping hopping from here to there there's no absolutely perfect situation anywhere but it is very favorable it's most favorable for our spiritual advancement if there are leaders who genuinely uh, care for our spiritual advancement and are helping us to come up. And care means that they don't just... I mean, it's good they should provide all material or physical facilities, but actually take care of us, see how we're advancing, give give us instruction help us through difficult times which will undoubtedly arise from the moment we join. Maya will be uh, trying to... Maya goes into overtime when we try to escape. There are two phases of Maya. That's called the uh, Abharanatmika Vritti, or the, the covering potency. Everyone is covered by Maya. 
And when one tries to come out, there's the Vikshivatnika vritti, that she, she goes into overtime to kick us back, throw us back. So don't be surprised when we join that all of a sudden uh, all these different desires and misgivings arise. That's normal. That's Maya trying to pull us out. So uh, we should follow an authority. If we don't follow a, a competent authority, then we're following an incompetent authority. And if we think, well, I, I, I won't follow any authority, then we have to follow our own mind, which is a very bad authority. Although due to our own foolishness, we tend to think it is a good authority. But unless and until we are trained to... Uh, act and, and, and think in a manner that is Krishna conscious as ordained by Guru, Sadhu and Shastra then it's better to be under a, a competent authority now uh, another important point here is uh, yeah, um, I was talking about how the brahmachari is a servant of his guru oh maybe I'll get into that tomorrow that's quite a big topic the, the we don't, we don't see our gurus very much, most of the devotees. And I'll, maybe I'll discuss that more tomorrow because it's quite a big topic. I'll leave some time now for questions, comments. Do we have the... Do we bring the coordinates, Mike? Okay. Then please speak loudly. Look, at, look in the room of the person who's furthest away and speak to them. That's how to speak in a room in a big room with many people and no amplification yeah uh, elaborating on the last point that you mentioned that uh, uh, brahmacharis who follow the orders of a competent authority but if there is not so ideal situation and if the leader is not so competent then how should he well that's what I'm saying Before, if you, if you want to join it's a good idea to uh, look around a bit because frankly here we are in North America and most of the centers of our society in North America I wouldn't advise a, some, a young man who wants to dedicate his life for the sake of spiritual advancement I wouldn't advise him to join most of the centers because most of the centers they're not equipped to uh, train or look after brahmacharis. There are a few centers where, where the consciousness of, of, ha, of having brahmacharis at all is there. Now if one is in a... Of course situations may change uh, and it should be understood that I'm speaking here in, in general principles. So uh, the situation may change. It may be that someone who was a, who was a competent authority they may... Uh, they may go through some difficulty themselves, which is, uh, affects the, the devotees under them, or they may be transferred somewhere else, or they may, you know, for some reason or other, that situation was good, and then it became less good. So, like I said, I'm speaking general principles, and life is more complex than uh, can be that everything can be understood just from listening to a short seminar. We can individual situations require 
to be uh, considered carefully. So we'd have to see if, if but sometimes it, it, a devotee joins in one situation and then the local authorities want want to keep him but the reason they want to keep him is mostly because they want they have someone in the temple to do something which they also need but on the other hand they, they, they have very little to to give back if anything in terms of guidance and training and proper association or proper example we find in many places that the person who has the designation temple president they're never seen in the morning program so I, I don't see why someone who's dedicating their life as a brahmachari should do so under a temple president who has no visible spiritual life I would say that's good grounds to uh, relocate to somewhere where where you at least the Tamil president if you're supposed to be working under their direction they should set a, an example at least a minimal at least that much example of of spiritual leadership it's not it's not just some rule that the brahmacharya has to follow the Tamil president that's a rule but the Tamil president has to himself set a minimal standard of of spiritual application otherwise what's the point our senders are meant for spiritual life it's not just a set of rules and regulations that we have to run the temple on with so you can quote me on that if you want that not that my voice is uh, law by any means but but uh, I don't, I don't see any reason that a brahmacharya has to remain committed to work under the direction of a temple president who's never seen in the morning program. Mm. Yeah, please speak more loudly. Uh, in the song, uh, there's this one, one verse that one should not be too... Uh, one should not follow rules and regulations too strictly or too... Uh, it didn't exactly say, it's not that one should not follow rules and regulations too strictly. That's not exactly what's stated. It's often misquoted like that. But it said that one should not follow rules and regulations. There's niyama agraha, which means being eager to follow. You know, agraha, which means eagerness. So one is eager for rules. One is not eager for Krishna. So one is attached to the rules, just like a smarter understanding. You follow the rule because it's a rule. Uh, one is more attached to following rules than considering what will actually please Krishna. Just like, for instance, um, it's a rule. It's an important rule that we rise early in the morning and attend Mongolarti. Alright, that's an important rule. That rule may sometimes not be followed. For instance, if you have an opportunity, I'm just giving a theoretical example. There may be some uh, concert where there's a good opportunity to distribute books all night. So you might not, shouldn't do it like 20 days a month or even 10 days a month, but occasionally 
If there's, a, if there's an exceptional opportunity for uh, doing a lot of important preaching, one may not follow that rule. You may break it once or occasionally for, for the sake of pleasing Krishna or serving the mission in another way. Now if someone faults you, that, oh, just see, he didn't, didn't come to Mongolati. That is uh, not understanding the underlying principle that underlies all the rules, which is to please Krishna. But on the other hand, if one just flippantly rejects the rule, well, the rules are very important. The real thing is to love Krishna. So, I love Krishna. I, I'm, I sleep every morning up to seven o'clock, but I dream of Krishna. This is bogus. This is just bogus, that's all. Yes? Marcus, um, this is mentioned the last point about um, somebody who uh, uh, new person is encouraged to mess up a uh, new person to join an uh, semester in America. That's, for me, it's kind of sad because... Um, it's sad for all of us. Yeah, so But that's why we got this seminar, to, to try and do something about it. So, so my question was that, so, as from like we really want to commit ourselves to preach and to... Uh... Right, that's another point. As brahmacharis, you really want to commit yourself to preach and to, to be fully absorbed in spiritual practices. But often because there's a lack of devotees in the temple, then you, you're just like non-stop pot washing, floor washing, which is not bad. It's not to serve Krishna in that way, but then uh, to... The, the hearing that a brahmachari is supposed to do, then he should bring that to others. He should be hearing and preaching and bringing others in. So that may be an, an unfortunate syndrome that you that you get into because there's there's always what well, we we have a lot of big temples in North America that are understaffed, and so if anyone comes along, okay, great. There's a see that pile of potatoes. That's for you, and. Uh, and every day it's like that, and there's no end in sight. No, not for you know for for peeling. I wasn't talking about eating them. <laughs> that's, that's just your perverted mentality. You're enjoying spirit. <laughs> so uh, all you nonsense brahmacharis, you need the sannyasis to chastise you regularly. You rascal. So, yeah, uh, well, uh, but again, we have to consider each individual case. I mean, it is a fact also that the temples need some help. And you could discuss it with your authority if they're reasonable enough to discuss it. That, you know, this is the situation. I'd like to, I'd really like to be in Brahmacharya Association and go out on Harinam every day. And maybe they'll say, yeah, and that's true. I, I sympathize with that. Okay, well, maybe... Let's, let's try and see if we can get some more preaching going and make some more devotees. Or, well, or they may say, well, realistically, we're not likely to make many devotees in the next few months or years, so maybe you should go somewhere else. If you, you can try discussing it with your authorities, although often they... Or it may be that they... I mean, with your temple authority, it may be that you know they can only see as far as the next pile of potatoes and... In that case, yeah, okay. Here's, here's a comment from a, a brahmachari who's now 
recently, in the last year or so, been a town president, so he knows both sides of the story. And he's going to tell us to finish in four minutes. Uh, well, I was thinking, yes, okay, you don't want to cut potatoes, okay, mm. like, no, you want to preach. But you have to be uh, determined to preach like Prabhupada said. Prabhupada, you can see Prabhupada pushed devotees to dedicate themselves seriously, seriously, seriously. Like devotees, like Brahmananda was sent to uh, Africa. He was on the verge of looking anyway. He did actually break bread with the principal association. But that's how serious you should be if you say, okay, now I don't want to cut potatoes, I want to go preach. Then you should be ready to sacrifice that much and dedicate yourself. Very good point, yeah. Yeah, we're talking about devotees should be looked after, but at the same time, preaching means taking all kinds of difficulties and risks and... It's devotees should be looked after, but at the same time not looking for comfort. Even preaching means we have to accept discomfort, including mental discomfort. Yes, please. Is there some activities that brahmacharya shouldn't do? Because I remember. I've Are there asked, some activities that brahmacharya uh, shouldn't do? Collect with stickers. And Collecting with stickers. Serving in prasadam restaurants. Serving in prasadam restaurants. Well, theoretically, we can do anything for Krishna. Maybe on a... Sh- I know myself, um, I was collecting for about five months, selling some records, uh, and we were living in hotels, and it was horrible. And I didn't like... I mean, I didn't like it, but the, what we were doing, we were collecting for vehicles for preaching in Bangladesh and Nepal. So that kept me inspired and actually we used, we bought four vehicles and for many years they, those vehicles facilitated a lot of preaching. So, okay, that was good, but I wouldn't want to do it all my life. Yes, my answer. Fundraising, you were just focusing on fundraising, you back into the field that where it helped get rid of that this is an important point. Shall we discuss it more tomorrow? Because time is up. Do you want to speak more about it now? If Mahatma Guru gives us some more time. It, it's a very important point, yeah. There was some survey done not long ago, maybe 10 years ago, why people leave. And different reasons were given. And one reason was brahmacharis and fundraisers, rather than preachers and big trainers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, theoretically, brahmacharis should be prepared to do anything, but at the same time, we have to understand that brahmacharis are not pure devotees, and they, like Mara said, it, it tends to breed a fruitless mentality. How much money? It's when you meet a person, instead of thinking, how can we get Krishna, we think, how can we extract money? And although the aim is supposed to be for serving Krishna, if the fundraising is separated from preaching, then the money usually gets separated from preaching too. And the money becomes used for sense gratification. And we find that many projects which which appear to flourish for some time, because the, the same spirit that devotees had the book distribution, they applied to fundraising, but then after some time the whole thing cuts because there wasn't a solid spiritual basis. So, fundraising is best 
done uh, very closely connected with preaching, telling people, even if we're collecting funds, telling people this is for Krishna. It, it is actually a, a big topic, but maybe it's not so relevant to brahmacharis in North America nowadays, because it doesn't go on much nowadays, does it? Does it still go on? Are brahmacharis still being asked to go out with stickers and things? No. I used to. It's not happening now. Did you join something? Brahmacharis here? No. I, I, I'm not, there's hardly any brahmacharis anywhere, and uh, they're not being sent out with stickers and caps. And Just in Australia. Still in Australia. In Sydney, yeah. Individuals are doing it, but so that's, not, that's not brahmacharis under, in the temple, is it? Those are household. Yeah. For myself, sometimes there's householder presidents, and they they were raised with what you spoke about, with big, big, uh, making lots of money instead of preaching. And then we have this huge facility. You go in, you want to distribute books, and they go, no, no, we got to take care of this thing. It's dilapidated. And, and so I take care of it, paint it, this and that, and also go out and collect money with stickers. And no, I want to preach. Well, you know, sorry. Um, yeah, these are some of, the, some of the difficulties we have of having these big temples with no one in them nowadays. But that's, uh, that's maybe getting a bit off the topic of, of the Brahmacharya seminar. Is it? Or, or is it? It's relevant subject for Brahmacharya today. Well, that's why I say, that's why I join in it, get yourself in the association where you can be benefited. That's, that's my line on all of this. Don't remain in a place where you are seen as an object to to fulfill a goal, but where the, the leaders actually care for your spiritual advancement. I'm going to finish.